uh, Bible at this time and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 14. We're going to get back into uh, this series. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've been here. Actually, I think maybe almost a month since we were last here in Mark. Um, so Mark chapter number 14. And uh, as you're turning there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter number 14. And we're going to read uh, verses 17 through 21, but we're going to cover uh, through verse 26 through the message. But uh, Mark 14, verses 17 through 21. And the Bible says this, In the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, you would use your word today to draw us closer to you and to each other. And uh, Lord, I pray that as you speak to us again, that we would be good hearers, but more importantly, that we'd be good doers of what we hear. Help us to apply the truth to our lives. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The title of the message today is A Strange Thanksgiving Meal. This coming Thursday, as you know, people all over America will gather together with friends and family to enjoy some good food, some fellowship, and in some cases, some football. Now, no doubt people are going to eat too much and they're going to forget about the sin of gluttony. Uh, they're going to think that that doesn't apply at this particular week, um, but uh, they're going to eat too much, and and uh, I at least have it on my plan to take a nap afterwards, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, this coming Thursday. And I imagine, though, that everybody who hosts uh, a Thanksgiving gathering or attends such a gathering desires... I mean, it may not be said, but maybe there is some conversation on the way there, or as you're getting ready for it, you're just hoping that everything runs smoothly, everybody would be happy, everybody would enjoy the time, there would be no drama, and uh, everybody's going to like the food, and all of that. Well, here are the disciples in the upper room with the Lord, and they're enjoying a meal together. And it actually becomes a very strange meal, to say the least. Now, why was this passage here, as we work through it, why was it such a strange Thanksgiving meal? Well, notice with me first, uh, there was the prediction of betrayal. In verse number 17, the Bible says this, In the evening he cometh with the twelve. And verse 18 says this, And they uh, sat and did eat. Now obviously, as I already mentioned, there's uh, some anxiety usually with these type of gatherings um, about someone bringing up something controversial, right? 
I mean, hoping that Uncle Zeke doesn't bring up politics yet again. Or just hoping that everybody gets along, keeps things civil, and doesn't bring up that, uh, the skeletons in the closet that no one wants to talk about. And uh, just hoping that everything kind of stays pretty surfacey and, and, uh, and, and, and positive and, and the good vibes and smiles on everybody's faces. Well, here during this Thanksgiving meal here in Mark chapter 14, something controversial does indeed come up. As they're sitting, verse number 18, as they sat and did eat, and no doubt enjoying life, and no doubt probably laughing and, and, and having some joy, Jesus said in verse 18, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. So we see the announcement of Jesus. He announces that one of them in that moment, in that room, was going to betray him. Now, obviously, I don't think this is what the disciples expected to hear. They were enjoying their meal. They were enjoying their time. They were kind of in a safe place. I mean, uh, they were normally just kind of going from here to there, but now they're in this upper room, and they're enjoying the Passover, and they're enjoying the time together. And then Jesus speaks up and makes this awkward announcement. I mean, Peter and John had just found the upper room, made ready the Passover, and they were sitting and eating, and then Jesus opens his mouth and says, one of you, and, and just in case they were thinking, well, did I mishear him? He starts with, verily I say unto you. In other words, this is a true statement I'm about to give you. This is actually going to happen. One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And that just kind of killed the mood, to be honest. Uh, look at verse number 19. And they began to be sorrowful. I mean, it was, I mean, can you imagine this? You know, everybody, everybody finally gets all their food, you know, and uh, they go through the buffet line, you know, and get their turkey and, and they get all that stuff. And, and, then, and then it's like, um, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. It's like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. And so, like I said, strange Thanksgiving meal. You wouldn't want somebody to come over to your house if you're hosting it this year or, or, or for you to go to someone, uh, someone else's house and they host it and then, and then something super awkward like this comes up. You, you wouldn't want that. Well, the disciples, I'm sure, didn't want that either. But yet Jesus did announce that there would be someone who would betray him. Well, let's look at the, not only the announcement of Jesus, but the attitude of the disciples in verse number 19. Again, they began to be sorrowful. I mean, no doubt there was joy because they were eating and they were Baptists. And, you know, when we eat, us Baptists are happy. <laughs> and, and, but yet this announcement, though, caused them to be very sorrowful. And then they began to say unto him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? See, the disciples all wondered if it was them. Each one of them said, is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? You said one of us, and, and I think maybe I, I could be the one. I, I hope it's not, but is it I? And they all had in that moment the humility to realize that it was possible that they could commit this terrible sin. The sin of betrayal. Now, 
not to cast shade on their humility. It was merely temporary, as we will see later next week, to give you a little spoiler alert regarding what's coming next. But at least in this moment, they had the humility to realize that it could have been no one, them, that they had the capability of doing something like betraying the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I do want to encourage us to have a healthy realization that every one of us, as well, can also turn our back on Christ. And that we are only a couple bad decisions away from completely blowing it, from, from causing great harm to us, our testimony, our family, to the cause of Christ. We are all capable of that. And so really, I commend the disciples for saying, is it I? Thinking that they could commend, or could, they were capable of committing something like that. You and I uh, are also capable as well of doing some great harm to the cause of Christ. You say, well, I've been saved. I would never walk away from Christ. After all he's done for me, there's no way I would. Be careful. We're warned, we're, we are warned in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, better take heed lest you fall. So those of us who think, I would never do something like that. I would never commit adultery. I would never turn my back on Christ. I would never get into drugs. I would never murder someone. I'm telling you, greater men and greater women than us have fallen into those things. And we're going to find these disciples who were walking and talking and rubbing elbows with Jesus for years uh, later would fall away for a brief time. So don't think for a moment that you couldn't commit some terrible sin because I do want to remind us of Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9 where the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And these disciples, at least here in this moment, had the humility to think. They were capable of doing the unthinkable, betraying their Lord and their Master. Is it I? I also want us to consider here in verse number 19 one of the ones who was... Uh, the one who piped up, is it I, was a man by the name of Judas. Because he knew it was him. And he had this false humility here at this moment. As everybody else was saying, is it I? Really, sincerely. Here comes Judas. He's like, well, I don't want to like look out a turn and say, turn around. It is I. <laughs> he instead said, is it I? Could it be me? And the Lord knew who it was. Um, here in Mark chapter 14, Mark chooses not to mention exactly who it is just yet. Uh, we, we all know it's Judas, but uh, here Mark doesn't say exactly who it is. All it says in verse number 20, He answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. As I was studying for this, one commentary, com commentator, there we go, um, mused that, uh, that Peter, who was the one who uh, gave Mark the information to write this gospel, uh, perhaps was wanting to uh, be a bit gracious to Judas in light of Peter's own failing later on, which we're going to find later in this chapter. Could be, I don't know. 
but later in the book of Mark, we do find out that it is Judas, but at least here in this moment, it's not revealed exactly the identity of the one who does betray the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a strange Thanksgiving meal. I mean, again, hoping that everything uh, this Thursday, if you're going to a place or you're hosting a place, you're going to want every, like the conversation to be all positive and wonderful and good and encouraging and edifying. You're not going to want someone to bring up something like that's going to make everybody sorrowful. Well, that's exactly what happened here in Mark chapter 14 as they sat and did eat. Jesus um, predicted betrayal. It was also strange, not only because of the prediction of uh, a betrayal, but also because of the parts of communion. Here, as we continue in verse 22, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup. When we had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank, they all drank of it. He said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will not drink no more, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So this coming Thursday, I imagine most of us will here will eat turkey. Uh, is there anyone here today who's planning to eat something other than turkey? Oh, you rebels. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, I'm looking forward to some turkey. I uh, do want to just do a quick survey here. I, I know I'm in the middle of my message, but we do need to take a time out for this survey. When it comes to turkey meat, who's on team dark meat? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Who's on team white meat? Ooh. Who's on team, it doesn't matter what kind of meat, color meat it is. I, I'm no respecter of the color of meat. Okay. <laughs> team any meat. <laughs> Amen. I'm on team dark meat, but uh, again, it doesn't really matter too much. Well, the Thanksgiving meal that Jesus is having with his disciples here also had some items. There was some bread and some juice. And let's take a quick moment and look at these parts of communion. First, we have the bread. And the bread represents the body of Christ. In verse 22, it says, As they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Now, I wonder, as Jesus took that bread and did all of those things, I wonder if the disciples went back in their minds, way back to when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 here in Mark chapter 6. Let's flip back over there real quickly, do a little field trip over to Mark chapter 6. And verse number uh, 41. So the feeding of the 5,000, most of us are familiar with that passage. Verse uh, 40, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And 41 says, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed, break the loaves, and gave to the disciples. And the two fishes divided he among them all. So he took, he blessed, he broke. And he gave. Okay, now flip back to Mark 14. Mark 6 says, He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. 
As he sits there at the, in the upper room with his disciples in this moment, he, tooks, he takes this bread, he blessed, he break, and he gave. So same thing. I wonder if they went back and said, hey, we've been here before. Just not in the upper room. I remember it was on this hillside and there was a whole bunch of people gathered around, but here we are with Jesus and he's doing the exact same thing. See, what he was doing in Mark chapter 6 was he was pointing to the fact that one day his body as the bread of life would be broken for all of us. And there they are in the upper room. He's doing the exact same thing. And I can't help but think, maybe they went, hey, we've seen him do this before. See, his body, or the bread, represents the body of Christ that is broken. And it, in just a few hours, would indeed be broken from the time he breaks it with them in the upper room. Now, while he had, Jesus had no bones broken when he died upon the cross, his flesh was terribly torn apart with the cat of nine tails. The, thor the crown of thorns that was placed onto his scalp tore the skin there around his head. The nails in his hands and his feet, and then finally the spear that was thrust into his side after his death. Yes, his body was indeed broken for you and for me. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. His body was broken for you. And so as He takes that unleavened bread, which shows that there's no sin in Him, He takes that unleavened bread and begins to break it. And he's symbolizing the fact that His body would in, in just a few hours be broken for you and for me. So the bread represents the body of Christ. But then there's the cup in verse number 23. He took the cup. And we had given thanks. He gave it to them and they drank all of it. Or they all drank of it, sorry. The cup represents the blood of Christ because he says in verse 22, 24, this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for, money, for many. Now, the Bible doesn't specify exactly what the contents of the cup were, other than what Matthew says in his account. So mo most people think, oh, well, that was alcoholic wine in that cup. Here's what Matthew says about it. He says, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we, we have the, word, the, the phrase, this fruit of the vine. And I can't help but think he was pointing to the cup there. Now again, there are some who firmly believe that it was alcoholic wine in that, there in that cup. And I'm of the opinion that it was not fermented, it was not alcoholic, because the Bible doesn't say that it was. And, and the picture of fermentation does give the idea of sin, and his blood was not tarnished in any way, shape, or form. It was pure, sinless blood. 
The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, verse number 18, For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, uh, Jesus had pure, sinless blood. There was no uh, decay in it at all. It's pure. So I can't help but think that it was not alcoholic in that cup. Now, in any case, what's most important is that the contents of that cup represented the blood of Christ and that that blood was going to be shed for many. And His royal, pure, sinless blood was later indeed shed uh, later on. Where was it shed? Well, at first we started to be shed at the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just perhaps a couple hours later. As he's there uh, praying and, and, uh, and, and asking that this cup be removed from him, but, but being willing to accept that cup anyway, if it be the Lord's will. And in that, Luke records, he being in agony, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. So he started shedding his blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Blood was also shed as our Savior was scourged with the cat of nine tails, and his uh, torso ripped to shreds, and, and no doubt tons of blood was shed in that moment. More blood was shed when the crown of thorns was driven into his scalp. And then blood was poured out as his hands and feet were pierced by those Roman soldiers as they nailed him to the old rugged cross with those Roman spikes. And if that wasn't enough, once he finally gave up the ghost and, and uh, the, the Roman soldier, just to be sure that he was dead, took a spear and pierced his side, the Bible says, forthwith came there out blood and water. So Jesus did shed his blood for many. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, uh, it, here the Apostle Paul says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You say, isn't salvation free? Yes, it is. But it cost him everything. It was expensive. It cost him his blood. And there as he was hanging there on the cross, naked between heaven and hell, and taking upon the punishment that was meant for me and for you. So as we get ready to take communion in a few minutes, and as we get ready to have Thanksgiving in a few days, let's remember what he did for us on the cross, and having his blood broken for us, our body broken for us and His blood shed for us. I love the song, Nothing can my sin erase, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of works, tis all of grace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I read about John Wesley, evangelist John Wesley, and he was returning home from a service one night. And while he was on his way home, he was robbed. The thief, however, found his victim to have only a little money. He was a Baptist preacher. What do you think? <laughs> he was a preacher. What do you think? Um, and he found his victim to have only a little money and some Christian literature. 
And as the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out, Stop! I have something more to give you. The surprised robber paused. My friend, said Wesley, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The thief hurried away, and Wesley prayed that his words might bear fruit. Well, years later, John Wesley was greeting people after a Sunday service when he was approached by a stranger. And what a surprise to learn that this visitor, now a believer in Christ and a successful businessman, was the one who had robbed him years before. And here's what that businessman said. I owe it all to you, said this transformed man. Oh, no, my friend, Wesley exclaimed, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. See, the blood that he shed on the cross, boy, that's enough to forgive me of all of my sins. And it's enough to forgive you of all of yours, past, present, and future. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you've never had the blood applied to your account, Thanksgiving Sunday 2022 is the perfect day for you to make the greatest decision of your entire life be born again, to know for sure that your sins are forgiven, and that you have a home in heaven, and that you are a child of God. To him that cometh to God, he will in no wise cast out. Say, would God accept me? Oh yeah, God will accept you. Hey, if God will accept Eric Johnson, God will accept anybody. And so I'm telling you this, this morning, this was a strange Thanksgiving meal. Because there was a prediction of betrayal, there was some strange parts of the communion. But thirdly, I want us to see because of the pattern of thanksgiving. Now, I glossed over a detail in verse number 23 that I want to go back and examine a little bit more in detail. Verse 23, the Bible says, And he took the cup, and when he had... What are the next two words? Given thanks. Given thanks. Mark and Matthew both mention that Jesus gave thanks before passing the cup around. But when you look at Luke's account, he mentions that Jesus also gave thanks before the breaking of bread. And verse 22 of Mark chapter 14 says, They did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed. This is also a reference to the fact that he gave thanks. So, this really was a Thanksgiving meal. Not only did they have food to eat and drinks to drink, but they gave thanks. And Jesus was the pattern of giving thanks. And uh, I want to just consider this for a quick moment here before we take communion as we look at this communion time, because that is significant, that that is part of communion. It's not just the elements, it's also taking time to give thanks. And, and first of all here, there's an expectation that we would give thanks. That we would follow in His steps. We are to follow the example of our Savior to give thanks. First Thessalonians 5 and verse number 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So many people and so many Christians are so, um, you know, caught up in the, I'm, I want to find God's will for my life. I want to do what God wants me to do. And, 
Well, can I tell you what God wants you to do? He wants you to give thanks. And when we're focused on that, then many times He'll begin to direct our paths in some of the other areas of life. But one thing that is very abundantly clear in the Scriptures, He does want us to be thankful and to give that thanks. In everything, give thanks, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning each and every one of us. Yes, concerning you. Colossians 3.15, uh, our memory verse for the month. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. There is an expectation that we would give thanks and that we would be thankful people. But again, there is uh, not only an expectation, there is an example. I want you to consider this here. In the midst of difficult circumstances, Jesus knew what he was about to go through there on the cross. As he was breaking that bread, he knew that his body was about to be broken. And as he passed that cup, he knew his blood was about to be shed. And yet, the Bible still says, he gave thanks. Friend, if Jesus can give thanks as he faced the cross, you and I can give thanks as we face the trials and tribulations of our lives. Because I guarantee no one has ever suffered quite like the Lord Jesus has. And if he was able to give thanks in the midst of all the difficulties that he was about to endure, you and I can give thanks in the midst of our trial and tribulation that we're perhaps going through even now. Well, you say, well, Jesus was the Son of God. Of course he'd give thanks. He's perfect. But we're flesh and blood. So, that example doesn't really mean a lot to me. Now, number one, it should mean a lot to every one of us. Because we are to follow in His steps. But I do want to give you a couple human examples. Uh, I think about the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul and Silas as they were preaching there in Acts chapter 16? They were placed into prison. And what did they do? They griped and complained and thought, this ain't fair. No, that's not what the Bible records. The Bible records that they sang praises to God at midnight. And their prison was a little less comfortable than our prisons of our day. And they still gave thanks in the midst of difficulty. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said in Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he wrote that, he was under house arrest, chained to two Roman soldiers who took, I think, six-hour shifts. So, you know, waking, sleeping, Doing whatever he did, he had two Roman soldiers chained next to him. And he wrote, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul learned how to do it. So we really don't have an excuse then. By the way, he also had learned not only to give thanks in all things, but he got to the point where he could give thanks for all things. He understood that the things that came into his life that were less than ideal were for God's glory and for his good, regardless of how comfortable they were. But how about one more? How about one more example? Daniel. 
Daniel. If, if you would find Daniel chapter number 6 real quick. I want to show you this. Daniel chapter 6. We'll be back here in Mark 14 in a moment. Daniel chapter 6. Now Daniel was the first of three vice presidents there in Babylon. He was high up there in political position. He had tremendous power and influence. Well, sadly, not everybody appreciated him. In fact, according to verse number 3, um, it says here, uh, or I'm sorry, verse number 4, the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So they ended up thinking, well, we can't, we can't, there's no skeletons for us to find and pull out here. So they concocted a conspiracy against Daniel, which would not only remove him from his position, but also end his life. In verse 5, and then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. These presidents, princes, assembled themselves together um, to the king and said thus unto, the, unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents and kingdom of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors, captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make firm a decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast in the den of lions. Now... O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius thought, eh, that's a good law. Uh, and so he signed the writing and the decree. Now, notice verse number 10, though. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so he was privy to this law coming into being, he went into his house... And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. And what are the next two words? Gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. So Daniel knew that what he was about to do was probably going to land him in a den of lions. Did he complain and write petitions and go on Facebook and, and, and I'm outraged about what's going on here. No, he did what he always did. He gave thanks. But he did that in the midst of terrible circumstances. Would you give thanks if you knew that that would land you in a den of lions? Daniel did. And he knew about it. It wasn't like he didn't know, and well, he's just doing what he always does. We're going to catch him. Ah, no, no, he knew about it. When Daniel knew what, that the writing was signed, he's like, you know what? I'm going to carry on like I normally do. So most believers make it their practice to give thanks before they eat their meal, and that is a good practice. But here Daniel chose to give thanks before he became the meal. <laughs> Now, obviously, less than ideal circumstances, and yet <clears throat> he still chose to give thanks. Why? Because he was giving thanks not based on circumstances that change, but based on his God who never changes. You know, when Thanksgiving, uh, several presidents have given proclamations regarding Thanksgiving, and one of the most famous is Abraham Lincoln. And he gave it on October 3rd, 1863. 
And as he declares that the fourth, the fourth Thursday of November should be a day set aside, it didn't become a national holiday, in, I think, until 1941. But, but, but he did declare that, hey, America, we should, we should dedicate the fourth Thursday of November to be a day of national gratitude, a national day of thanksgiving. You know, when he made that, they were smack dab right in the middle. 1863, you, you American history buffs, what were they smack dab in the middle of? Civil War. Well, I, I like to give thanks when everything's going well. Well, Abraham Lincoln, things were not all hunky-dory here in America. Things were in bad shape, and yet he said, you know what we need to do as a nation? We need to give thanks. You say, well, hey, pastor, I'd give thanks if, you know, my bank account was enormous and if my health was better and with, if my family was all doing what I want them to do and, 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 and if the country was better, then I would give thanks. There's really not a lot to be thankful for right now. Oh, yes, there is. And Abraham Lincoln recognized that in our nation, in spite of all the craziness that was going on, we still needed to take time to give him thanks. And so you may be going through a time of chaos in your own life. It's not time to complain and, and get so self-centered. It's time to give thanks. Jesus, as he thought about the fact that he was going to become the sacrifice for mankind, he gave thanks. As he realized that his blood was going to be shed and it was going to be uh, not, it's, it wasn't going to tickle, he still gave thanks. As he realized that his father was going to, in, in, in a way, turn his back on, on the son and he was going to feel lonely, he still gave thanks. Hebrews 13. Verse 15 tells us, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Not just when things are going well, but even when things are not going well. We're going to continue giving thanks. He's the pattern of thankfulness. So today, as we've considered this strange Thanksgiving meal, um, let's decide today to, like the disciples did, have humility and recognize that we are all capable of betraying the Lord and making sure that we're staying close to Him. Let's also remember the parts of communion, that the bread represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that the cup represents the shed blood of our Savior. And then let's follow the pattern of thanksgiving, to give thanks even in the midst of difficult times. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this Thanksgiving meal we just read about. And God, so many lessons for us in it. Help us, Lord, to be thankful, no matter the circumstances. Help us, Lord, to be grateful for the sacrifice you made for us on the cross. Lord, I thank you for even the disciples who said, Is it I? Help us, Lord, to... I realize that we are all capable of that, so please keep us close to you so that we don't betray you, we don't walk away from you. Please keep us close. 
And Lord, I pray that you would bless this time of communion here in a few minutes. They would use this time, Lord, to cleanse our hearts from sin, to help us to be right with you, so that this is a, a pure church. Lord, I know that's what you desire. More than you want this to be a large church, you really want this to be a pure church. And God, I ask that that would be the case today, that we would get thoroughly right with you. That, Lord, whatever's going on inside that's wrong, Lord, may we get that settled.